On this episode, we focus on art as a tool for activism. We speak to Julio Salgado, a visual artist and the co-founder of Dreamers Adrift and the migrant storytelling manager for the Center for Cultural Power. His status as an undocumented queer artist has fueled the contents of his artwork that calls attention to the migrant rights movement. Joining him is Marta Gonzalez, a Chicana artist, musician, feminist, music theorist, and associate professor in the Intercollegiate Department of Chicana, Chicano, Latina, Latino Studies at Scripps Claremont College. She's a singer and songwriter and percussionist for the Grammy award-winning band Quetzal. This episode features music from Quetzal today. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. What's up? What's up, Tamarino amigos? Welcome back. What's up, Brenda? ¿Cómo estás? ¿Qué onda? Hello, hello, listeners. I'm um, really excited, really um, happy about the weekend that I just had. And I want to give y'all just a quick suggestion of something fun you could do in Southern California. I was able to go to the Chich, which is in Riverside, and it is an amazing collection of Chicano art from Chich Marin. Awesome experience. And we were there in Riverside, as I've mentioned before. We were there for the Mucho Gusto Festival. It was so much fun. So a lot of um, tropical Latino music. All Latina folks from all over Latin America got together in Riverside, and I got to stay at the Mission Inn. It was just such a wonderful cultural experience. I also got to see Fabi Fav's amazing lowrider piñata. So if you all haven't made it out to the Cheech, I want to recommend that you do that. Now, Ana Sheila, ¿qué pasa contigo? Yeah, I got to go there uh, a few, a month ago or so as well with my family and, and love the museum. So I echo y'all get out there. I know it's the IE, but drive on a Saturday morning. Y'all can make it. No traffic. Definitely worth a visit. I love what he's done. So so thank you for, for sharing that recommendation, Brenda. Uh, I also had a fun um, sort of random activity that I also want to recommend to folks. So um I'm visiting my family this weekend and we're doing a little exchange uh, where we're getting a surprise like person, like a, like a white elephant, but um, we have to spend a max of $10. And so, you know, y'all know it's like hard to get stuff for $10 nowadays, but um, I decided, now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I decided um, to go on a walk in my neighborhood. So I, I live in Boyle Heights, um, which is a, a neighborhood in the, in, in East LA and I walked all along Cesar Chavez, pretty much from like the the end where like but where, there isn't anything else going on past one end to the other end when there isn't much going on. But for a big stretch of that street, there's a lot of stuff to check out. So um, I just literally covered the whole street looking for, you know, my gifts, but just letting myself walk into whatever store caught my eye. And it was just really fun because there wasn't a specific plan. I feel like a lot of times, especially in L.A., you know, we go to a specific spot. Maybe we go to the na- the business next door, but we're not really letting ourselves explore like that. And and I think I just it was so lovely because I got to see places that I hadn't noticed. And I've been living, I've lived here for now six months, 
And just walking, I noticed stores that I had never seen, even though I've driven on the street so many times, right? But it's just so different when you're walking and when you just let yourself sort of play. And um, I almost got a limpia, which I'm going to get. I don't, have you ever gotten a limpia before, Brenda? Yes, I have actually at my house. We, we had a, a curandera come over and uh, my Hope Sisters from Hispanos Organized for Political Equality came in. It was super cool. So yeah, yeah, I have. I've done it before, but I haven't done it in many years. And I was like, you know, maybe today's the day for Olympia. I didn't do it, but I'm going to go back. Um, the brujo, the main brujo wasn't there. Um, so I'm going to go back. But I found, I ran into, um, I got some gifts and then I ran into um, this bookstore that I also had never noticed. And uh, the bookstore was awesome. Uh, and in the bookstore, I saw a postcard. He, they had vintage postcards, and I saw this postcard um, of for, probably from the seventies of um, the university that my dad went to, which was when he was there. So he went to this university in oh, Mexico that's so City cool. called Yeah Unam, and and there is a picture of it. And I was like, and I bought it, and I'm actually writing him. My dad just, my dad just, my dad's birthday was a few days ago. And so I started writing him a postcard. Um, so it was just a really sweet adventure to just walk down the street and without any like plan on where I was going to go. So recommend just kind of letting yourself have those kinds of dates where you just explore without a specific spot in mind. So that was really fun. Yeah. Beautiful. Sounds like a lot of uh, divine intervention on your walk. I highly recommend also walking in LA. Y'all Awesome recommendations. Okay, so shifting to what we have today. Today, we're going to talk to two artists that are using their talents and their platform to build community, and they are decolonizing the arts while doing it. But before we get into that, we want to share some announcements. If you are listening to this episode when it comes out, which is on Wednesday, you know that you still have time to join us on Thursday for Cultivating Financial Liberation, an in-person gathering in Highland Park happening on Thursday, October 5th. At 6.30 is when the program starts. Get there early. Walk around York, just like Anna Shayla suggested. You will stumble into a lot of great things, and you will stumble into this this bookstore called The Pop Hub, and that's where we'll be. And I'm so excited. We just added a special performance by Heidi Rojas, a first-generation Latina songwriter that is blowing up on TikTok. We will have some links for for you all to check her out in the notes of this episode. Her lyrics are so amazing. Anna Shayla had a great opportunity to see her live recently with, uh, with the fund raising event for our friend Dulce. I know you couldn't make it, but I'm so excited that you're going to get to see Heidi at this event. So y'all, please go to tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events so that you can register. And what else do we have, Ana Sheila? Well, I mean, another just reminder, if y'all have been thinking about how much you love this podcast, and we know you do, please take two to three minutes to rate and review Tamarindo Amnapa podcast. I know, I know this is hard, y'all. And all you got to do is go to podcasts, find our podcast, scroll down. And if you want, just rate us, even that. But if you know you feel inspired uh, to review, we would love that. So here's a review we just received. It says, love this podcast. Refreshing perspective on important issues in the Latinx community. Feel like I'm part of a conversation with the older sisters I never had. Get cute. Yes, calling us old and telling us we're awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so y'all, please take them a minute to write those notes. They seriously, that was three months. That just bought you all three months more of Tamarindo. I'm telling you, without those reviews, we're going to call quits. So please get us those reviews. All right, before we hear from our guests, I also want to let listeners know that October 5th is not only the day of our financial empowerment event, 
But guess what? Look at like we like almost as if we planned it, which we actually didn't, but pretend that we did. It is also Latina Equal Pay Day. So a perfect time to have a conversation around financial empowerment. So what does this mean? October 5th is the when the average Latina's earnings finally catches up to what the average white man made in 2022 of last year. So that means that it's it's bad news for us. Go ahead, Anishela. Tell us what else that means. Yeah, y'all. So we invite you to join us in calling attention to this. In the notes of this episode, you'll see that we have a we have linked a toolkit with all the resources you need to help us bring visibility to the Latina wage gap. Together, let's say pagame this Latina equal pay day. Yep, absolutely. Latinas are paid just 52 cents on average for every dollar a white man is paid, resulting in in a loss of pay amounting over a million dollars over the course of 40 years. This pay gap harms Latinas, our families, our futures, and the entire country. We must get paid fairly and now, and that is why we're inviting you to please join us on this campaign. Again, the link to this is all in the notes of this podcast. All right, enough with the announcements, enough with the catching up. Let me tell you who we have today. We have Julio Salgado, a visual artist whose status as undocumented queer artivist has fueled the contents of his artwork that calls attention to the migrant rights movement. We also have Marta Gonzalez, a Chicana artivista, musician, feminist music theorist, and associate professor in the Intercollegiate Department of Chicano, Chicana, Latina, Latino Studies at Scripps Claremont College. You'll hear how identity and place influences their work, their critique of the confines of creative spaces of the past, and how they are each working to make creators of color have greater opportunities, mentorship, and liberty to create. So... Just a quick note that we had a lot of fun in this recording. You'll hear that Marta and Julio caught up and we're like, oh, I remember how I know you. So you hear a bit, you'll hear a little bit of that. And you will also hear a lot of bangling because Marta had these gorgeous, gorgeous bangles. And I forgot how to podcast and tell her to take them off before we record. So if you hear some jingling, that's Marta talking with her hands. And that's more of an invitation for you to watch this episode on YouTube so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. All right, let's hear from them now. First, I want to welcome Julio and Marta, both of you. Welcome you to Tamarindo, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, such a treat. So first off, I want each of you to tell us in your own words, what do you do and why do you do it? And I'll start with Marta. Uh, my name is Marta Gonzalez. I consider myself a Chicana Artivista and meaning that I am an artist uh, by trade, training, and as part of my culture, I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter. Um, but I also use my skill sets as a way to develop out processes in order to be able to bring community into these, these processes, these experience, music experiences. And um, that's what Artivista is for me. Yeah, and what is your why? Why do you do what you do? I think that we are uh, have a lot of problems in community and in society nowadays. And part of the problem I see is how alienated we are from each other. Um, but beginning with our own sense of creativity, with our own sense of uh, creative expression. And so my goal is really um, to get people to connect um, to their creative selves and create um, those practices as community 
so that people can um, uh, connect with each other, right? So the idea here is that I think that uh, we are have been so alienated from each from our own creative sense that we don't have those um, communal creative activities that connect us to each other. So it's sort of a way of trying to get people to, to be in community more often and be in community via creative practices. Beautiful, beautiful. And so for Julio, how do you describe what you do and what is your why? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for for having us again. And Marta, again, it's like such a pleasure to be in conversation here because, um, yeah, like I, I, you know, my uh, what I do is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual artist. I um, I happen to be undocumented and queer, and those things have had a huge impact in the artwork that I put out uh, for the past. Uh, probably, I started doing this whenever whenever Facebook uh, or MySpace back in the days. I used to post stuff on Facebook and and MySpace and uh, and, and Tumblr, and so uh, being able to reach. Um, a wider audience in this age of the technology <laughs> um, has been really interesting, right? And so, um, but but and and why why do I do it? I do it because um, because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I, it's, you know, like I think as, as an artist, um, you know, there's uh, there's no reasoning behind it. You should there's this this feeling that uh, of of creativity that you just have to put out. There's almost like no shame. <laughs> I feel um, uh, from a young age, I've been just you know creating and drawing was my first medium. Uh, now, like you know, I venture into writing, um, and I was a journalism major in college, and and so that really um, you know it's really about putting our stories out there um, so that other people don't write those stories for us. And so that's why I do it. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Both of those answers really resonate, I'm sure, for our listeners. I also love how you said, Julio, that like, you know, no shame, which I, I think is so brave. I think a lot of folks that are curious about exploring their their creativity might be bogged down by, oh, what are people going to say? Is this good enough? So I think that's just so wonderful that that for you, it's always been innate to to express. And I'll, I'll stick with you, Julio, and then I'll, I'll come back to you, Marta. But I'd like to explore this a little further. How does your personal identity and where you grew up, you know, place, influence the work that you do? Um, I mean, completely. I think... Um... You know, I, I grew up, I mean, I grew up here in Southern California. I was born in Ensenada, Mexico. Uh, and I, I came here when I was still developing, you know, as a teenager, right? And so um, I had my Mexican influence. And then, um, uh, you know, when I was growing up in Mexico, uh, also, I was very, I was creative. I was a creative kid. Um, I remember drawing, um, there was a contest in, 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 in Tanada to draw how you imagine your uh, the local radio station, how they look like, because this is back before social media and you didn't <laughs> hear a voice. And I remember uh, my dad took me, uh, you know, it was era, it was a, like El Dia del Niño, you know, like when they celebrate the little kids. And so, um, you know, from a young age, my, my parents were... Uh, were very like um you know they were you pursue this you know draw if you want um and so we come here and um you know i one of my first classes that i was enrolled in the seventh grade i came here in the seventh grade um was an art class 
And, um, and, you know, it, 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 again, I was very, um, you know, pushed. I was in a, in a, in a, a Long Beach City, Long Beach uh, Unified School District where I went to school is very pro arts. And so all of that really had a huge, um, you know, influence in me pursuing that. And so uh, there's this stereotypes that about immigrant parents wanting you to do um, like become a lawyer, become a doctor, which, you know, we need all of that. We need all doctors and lawyers. Uh, but art, it's just like, it's like, oh, it's a hobby. It's not a real thing. It's not something that you can do. But um, I, my parents were were really supportive. I'm actually writing a comic strip right now uh, for the LA Times about that experience of growing up as an undocumented, um, you know, uh, uh, artist. And so I think the people around me were uh, like, I was lucky to be, um, you know, encouraged and, you know, uh, to, to my, my creativity to be, you know, I was encouraged. Yeah, that's beautiful. And for you, Marta, where, how does place and how you grew up influence the music that you do? I know that, you know, East L.A. is such an important part of what you study, what you what you lecture on and, and where the music is influenced. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, man. First of all, Julio, <clears throat> we've met before. I just realized <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at Harvard. Do you remember? Were you... Yes, I that, that it was for it was for like a conference. Yes, it was for a um it was about uh yes, a conference uh that I, I can't believe I don't remember his name right now. Anyhow, we met before Josmar. It's all about building community. See? He, you're doing it right here. <laughs> I know your face, but I'm like, I'm like, have we met? Or like, it's just like, I've seen your face so many times. And then that's all your beautiful artwork in the back, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. I remember I took some posters and like, I, I, anyhow, we've met before. It was really quick. You were on your way somewhere else. We were all in one room at some point. And then, yeah, so we gave a talk and a workshop and then we, um, and then we saw each other briefly and then that was it. But I just I remember now. Oh, my goodness. I knew that the name reminded me. But anyhow, but I just want to say I love your work. Um, you know, I anyhow, I just want to say that. Uh, but yeah. um, <laughs> as far as, you know, my my upbringing, you know, same idea. My parents are immigrant parents. I was actually born here in East L.A., Boyle Heights. And music was always just part of our culture in the house singing. Unfortunately, my dad really had a different sense of what a life in music was, and that was to professionalize, right? Um, and so I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's important, but I don't think we should put all our values just in that, right? That I think that, and 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 Julio doesn't do this either, right? Of course, you want to make a living, you want to do this work, but you're also very mindful and keeping your ear to the ground in community, what's important, what value systems we can gather from that. And so one of the things that I, my dad raised us to think about is like, he wanted us to be professional singers and kind of pushed us. And there's this whole way of going into music that's very exploitative, oftentimes for women, et cetera, et cetera. And so those things, you know, early on really soured my idea of what music could be in community, right? Or what music could be in your life in general, where all the only way to exist it through art and music practice is through the market economy, right? To capitalism, right? It's like, if you don't make any money, then you're not an artist, right? And you shouldn't focus on that unless you're going to make some real money. Um, and in my case, uh, 
I had a lot of community experiences, especially here in East LA with artist activists at the time that were really thinking about art and music in, in as tools of social justice. And, um, and then with art studying and the sudden Zapatista movement that happened in 1994, all the writings that came out and all the studying, our travels to Chiapas and back and really getting to know that movement that re made us think about, okay, that's important. Tenemos que comer, right? We have to do that. But there's also this other sort of charge that we had, especially as artists in the 90s, that began to think about like other ways of thinking about music, art and culture, right? That it didn't always have to be commodity based, that it could also be something else. And so that whole movement really changed um, the way I think about art, music and culture. It really helped me unlearn what my dad had taught us, that it was just about that. And es más, Él se murió. Do your speakers speak Spanish at all? Sorry. Um, oh, yeah. They, every, you know, our, our, our listeners are us. You are our listeners. So, yeah. Sometimes, you know, I start going back and forth and then I forget. Um, so my dad really died with this, like, longing to be a professional musician, famous, making money musician type thing. But this a certain idea of what it means to be a success, right? And so watching him sufrir eso, right? Like not being able to reach that kind of idea was just um, sort of like distorting about what me, what I realized music was. And that is that it fills you, that it's something that you could do with others in community. It's not just something you do on stage. And of course, my, in my career, I do it on stage and I've recorded many albums and I've done this thing with music, but I also make time or have also really spent time trying to craft this other side of, of what music can be as well, because I think it's also important. And it was also a very important part of all of our cultures. So many cultures around the world, that music is participatory, that music is part of community and everyday life, and it doesn't always have to be commoditized. And that's something that I think is a way of decolonizing our minds and something that has always been a part of you know, something I started to learn in East L.A. grassroots organizing networks here from artists and activists that were really deep into the Zapatista movement and some of the value systems that they were um, communicating. Yeah, no, th thank you. And, you know, the reason why I wanted to speak to each of you is because I do see that intersection of art and activism in the work that each of you do. So I want to go now to, to Julio and um, speak a little bit. You've, you've touched on it a little bit, but speak a little bit more on how your work has been. So, I mean, it's so visible. It's so um, colorful and joyful and why we need joy, especially in the in as we think about the fight for immigrant integration or immigrant inclusion, I should say. I mean, it's been, it's a, it's a hard fight to be in because it's been so not good. You know? <laughs> the progress has been so slow. I want to talk about the role of joy in your work and, and, and whether or not the art that you do, if you find it healing or, or tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'm, you know, I listening to you, Marta, I think, um, you know, you had this influence from your father, right, who had an idea of what art was supposed to to be or where you were supposed to take art with. That, that was a similar experience that I had 
in college, you know, like uh, I my first semester was at Long Beach City College. And, you know, all, you know, from my I mentioned earlier, my teenage, you know, years and my my family, especially my mom, you know, who was like very uh, you can draw. Um, uh, and then I get to this institution and I hated it. <laughs> I hated art like the first two semesters that I was an art major. Um, it felt very, um, you know, like I, I was used to like art being my expression and uh, my way of like letting it all like, you know, putting it all out, you know, on a piece of paper. And I remember specifically uh, an art class that I took. It was a it was a drawing. It was a summer of 2001. It was my first semester. I was still 17. Um, and I we had to do this self portraits. And I remember uh, you know, feeling she was very angsty and like very like I was I didn't know if I college was my thing because I was undocumented. And I remember drawing myself very, uh, you know, like the bottom part of my body, like melting, you know, expressing e expression. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had to do this. Um, we had to do this uh, a critique, like student critique with, of each other's work. And I remember the teacher, the professor was like, look at Julio's work. And everybody comes over to my piece. And, you know, I'm about to be like, oh, my God, they're going to love my work, blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> the teacher, like, she's like, like, you know, rips me up and, like, says, like, you know, this is what happens when you're trying to show off and you don't follow the instructions. There were instructions. <laughs> it was like a grid image, you know, where you should, like, you take a photograph and there's, like, a grid and you're supposed oh, to, yeah. that was the assignment. But I was like, this is art. We're supposed to, like, express yourself. And I felt so little and so like um you know like oh my god i gotta follow the rules i thought i was so confused again i'm still developing as my voices feel developed and so i was like i don't like this i'm paying somebody to tell me that i suck or you know was particularly looking back perhaps there you know he was trying to i don't know teach me the skill whatever but i just feel that the way that art you know it a lot of my i have friends who went to art school and they're so they're so good but they're so like you know they're 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 so i don't know there's there's something that, that art school, yeah there's something that art school film school does that too where you know they they cage you i don't know and so I moved to, you know, I changed my major to journalism, where in journalism, it's all about telling a story. It's all about, you know, I started as a, as a political cartoonist and, you know, it was all about get the point out, you know, put it out there. And so I actually that was my more creative side and my more where I felt more free to to really speak up. And, um, you know, then I graduated college and then all of a sudden I, you know, I'm, I I see that all these undocumented students are coming out of the shadows and saying that they're undocumented and unafraid. And I knew that like the, the this telling of the story, capturing the story, like I had to do it. Right. Like and, and I was part of this community. And so I, I think for me, it's all about, again, going back to it's about collaboration. I would ask them, like, can I draw this? Do you like this? It was a, it was a back and forth. And so I it's you know, I'm I'm hoping that the art school system uh, is changing a little bit. Um, I was having a conversation with a professor at Pasadena City College and they were I, I shared this story and they were like, you know, we are definitely are in an era where, you know, like the teaching, it's it's becoming a little less um, like 
rigid. Yeah, like rigid. It's like mm-hmm. no, let the let them speak. Let let let's have arguments. That's that's the point of 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 school. But like to make somebody feel little is so. I think it's just so it's so dirty. <laughs> Which I didn't have that experience in journalism school, and I don't know if it's like just a cl- like art school, film school, music or, schools. Like, They're music. all like that. In many ways, it's, you know, right, they, they invest in in um, the discipline, right? And there's a discipline, right? And so he was trying to discipline you and try to make you an example of what everybody should be doing, right? And that's how they begin to box you in, right? This idea, it's same idea, what I was talking about, how music is a certain way, and this is how we experience music, and people that come along and challenge that get disciplined, right? And so that's what he tried to do to you. And I'm glad he didn't manage to do that because otherwise we wouldn't have your beautiful artwork, right? Um, yeah, that happens a lot. They're all, it's it's all over. And that's part of uh, how they compartmentalize art, even art itself, right? How, you know, disciplines, there's dance and then there's music, right? Um, disciplines, but honestly, so many cultures around the world are, they go hand in hand. Music and dance go together. And that's when I was studying um, at UCLA and ethnomusicology program, you know, that's the first thing I, I realized. I was like, wow, when they teach this, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't separate these things. These things go together. And I remember thinking, wow, this is this is dope. I like this. That part I did like about music. There was all this other part on theory and all these things. We had to learn the Western way of talking about world music, which is totally warped in and of itself. But like that's kind of like it's it's everywhere. And that's part of capitalist framework, right? Like you have to learn this way. And we have to see that you learn this before you can move on to anything else rather than like commending you and being like, this is beautiful. This is how you see yourself. You're working within the grid, but then from here down you are right. Rather than seeing the potential and the beauty of what you did, they critique it because it doesn't fit the box. And are you all, both of you as artists, I mean, you've, you've been in this game for a long time. Have you seen um, an evolution of that? Are, are there, is there, is there a um, breaking away from that rigidity <laughs> and into some more like decolonization of the way art is? What is your, you know, kind of like you, you have this span of time. How do you see things now? Are you hopeful at all in the way the art world is evolving and changing. Of course, I think one of the other things that I'm excited to speak to both of you about is, the, is that I, um, you're both BIPOC artists. You know, what does it mean to be a person of color in the art world? And what have you seen? What What is there left to do? Well, I, I in my field, I'm in, I teach in the Intercollegiate Chicano Latino Studies Department, right? Um, um, with a focus on gender studies, right? Um, my PhD is in gender studies. And so some of the work and the department that I'm in is in the inter- in Chicano Latino Studies Department. And so that field is filled with people that are challenging art, music and culture, the, 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 dis- the Western disciplines in all of these beautiful ways, right? We have so many artists, installation artists, visual artists, mural artists, um, you know, that are doing this wonderful work. Um, and, um, you know, so the challenge, the challenges are there. And I have the great joy of being able to teach that to my students, introducing them to different artists over the years, poets, dancers, singers, you know, we look at the work, we look at the people that write about their work and analyze the work as well, right? All of these things so that they can see the depth of it, uh, how, how much depth there is. Um, and also to, so that they can recognize how Western culture and Western art museums don't always include work like 
like it's the like Julio's right or like other artists uh, that we have out there right and and why right these Western ideals these Western paradigms don't often recognize us or see it as art or or, or as beautiful right or as uh, rigorous or you know what I mean they have these words these euphemisms to describe um, to hide their racism right and so we it's up to us. And interpreters like us and, and practitioners like us to go in and continue to challenge it. Right. So it's not just about for me as a college professor, as a producer, as a producer of art and music. I think it's important that I fucking keep my shit real. Right. Keep keep putting. Yes. <laughs> putting out the stuff that I think is important and that I see and reflecting my community and my music. But then as a teacher, I think it's important that I introduce our students to the kinds of art that's out there, the hist all the history, the trajectory and body of work of people of color over the course of history here in Mexico, here in the U.S., all over Latin America. But then also um, show them um, how um, all the different ways that we continue to be excluded, right, that we still have a lot of work to do to to break down those barriers or create houses for ourselves. We're so close to the Cheech now, right? And there's so much beautiful work going on at the Cheech that just centers Chicano art and culture and processes as well. They're really trying to challenge themselves. And so that those kinds of spaces and other kinds of, of work and ongoing meetings with artists such as Julio and other artists that I know of, you know, is, is part of what gives me hope that that I think we're still working at it. There's a lot to be done and there's a lot that has been done, but there's also... Um, we know that, you know, white supremacy keeps coming at us in all these different ways and we need to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah. So, Julio, yeah. What have, what have you seen? What are you hopeful in the way that you, folks like you are breaking barriers? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me is it's definitely looking back at um, the work that has come before us um, and, you know, the collaboration with the you know, new generations of artists, um, you know, like it, it's not, and, 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 you know, as Martha mentioned, you know, it's not just, you know, it's who is in charge now of these institutions, right? Um, I, I think that the curators of color, I think, you know, make a huge difference. Um, you know, who is putting what together, who is highlighting, you know, the work that is not seen traditional, um, in the, you know, in the art world, I'll give again an example, I, you know, I think, you know, examples are work best for me, but, um, you know, in my own experience, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I got hit up by, um, you know, uh, Claudia Zapata, who was the curator uh, in, uh, at the Smithsonian, uh, and they were putting together uh, uh, this show, um, Carmen, um, I'm forgetting her last name, Carmen Ramos, um, one of the, you know, she was putting this together, this show together about the Chicano art, um, you know, from the 60s, 70s and to the new media. And I was considered new media uh, because a lot of my work is digital. And, and Claudia made a point. She was like, you know, media right now, the way that, you know, digital artwork that you're putting out into the world institutions they don't know what to do with it because it's not something that you can touch uh or steal <laughs> uh or you know <laughs> yeah. <away> from you <laughs> and so but the way that you know if it wasn't for claudia and carmen who uh pushed uh to have me to be part of this work and other art, art artists that are you know 
or work in the digital realm, um, you know, it's it, you know, it's because of them, right? And so more of that. I'm so happy to see more of that. Like museums are doing that. Um, uh, the social media, like I think uh new generation of artists are relying on you know are not relying anymore on the on the on the physical spaces to put like, you don't need to ask permission anymore right you're just like sharing out into the world and i see this um you know amazing work that it's 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 just it it blows my mind of how we're you know we're you know technology can be very scary um especially right now we can get into this conversation about ai and what it, that's doing to our artists but I I think like any space could be dangerous, but any space can also be a place of uh, for us to flourish. And and, you know, within our communities as BIPOC artists, um, you know, we were we'll 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 figure out, you know, even back then. I One of my favorite movements that I always kind of look back is like during the riot, riot girl movement. When they had like all the scenes, like in the nineties, um, you know, it was very you know, you know, white women led, but you know, it's just there was a lot of women of color there who were uh, pushing back and using you know those resources. So I love looking back at what you know folks in the past did and how we can mix them with with what we're doing now. And and yeah, you know, the past can be problematic. The past made a lot of mistakes, um, but I do believe in we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Like artists, as long as, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, affecting people's lives um, in a horrible way. Like, I think that it's important to look at the mistakes of the past and, and, you know, make our own mistakes. I think it's important as artists to be allowed to make mistakes and to be, to be able to put out bad work. Like we also should be allowed <laughs> to make our bad artwork because in order to make good work, you need to put out the bad. And so, I just again think about how many white artists are allowed to make mediocre work and you know they learn and they move on and they make better work and so um I think that we should also give ourselves that opportunity and support each other. I think that's another thing <laughs> that I constantly think about it's uh another sort of danger of putting your stuff on online is that anybody has access to it and anybody can interpret interpret the work that you put out there. Uh, in the way that it's it's harder to defend or harder to uh, give context if we're not having this conversation, but um, but yeah, like you know, like let let your let your creativity you know flow and and again go back to what our ancestors or the people in the past have done for us to get here and um, yeah, just more of that. And I'm excited that that people are just creating and we don't we're not asking permission anymore that's another thing i love the fact that we're just we're doing this whether you like it or not you know we i love it unapologetic yeah yeah sin vergüenza and and sin pedir permiso i love it oh. so um to, to conclude i'd love for each of you to just listen our listeners are out there they're listening many of them might be artists so i'm sure that's this is resonating with them but those of us that are like me that that are uh, we appreciate art art what would be one thing that our listeners need to know about supporting artists right now artists of color and and artists like you so so marta what would be the one thing you would like our listeners to take away well, I think supporting, right? If you can buy a piece, if you can be a part of their um, support in any way, I think you should you should do that, right? 
many people don't know that the great artists of the past, okay, let's, for lack of a better example, let's talk about Mozart, right? I know that sounds funny, even though that's not the kind of music I play. But it's really interesting to find out about, my son is a classical musician. Well, he studied that, but that's not what he dedicates his life to. But he is really funny. He knows a lot of history of all kinds of those guys, like Vivaldi and other folks, right? These are classical musicians, old school. And he talks about how everybody had a, um, como se, like a padrino, you know, like a, somebody who would basically like believed in them and said, like, keep doing your work. Y les daban dinero, les proveían, you know, resources. Si no era dinero, era resources, comida, regalos, cosas así, you know, like I, and I feel, and more and more when I meet a young artist, when I start seeing, when I see somebody that's so passionate about what they're doing and that want to dedicate that kind of time, I don't critique that at all. When I, it's funny because I just want to make this clear. Okay, so when I talk about the participatory stuff that we do and all that, that's important. That doesn't mean I stop doing the professional work that I do, right? The songwriting and the ongoing recordings that I've, like, eso también is important. But there's a market system for that, right? That's already set. I'm talking, developing out another way of thinking about music, art, and culture. Okay. So that aside, whenever I see an artist that's trying to do that other thing and like really, I'm like, hell yeah. Like if I see that they're ongoing, they're working and they're, I mean, most of the times you see it now on Instagram, but even if I see an artist in a coffee shop or something, a songwriter, I'm like, que bonitas canciones. I try to find out. I actually, you know, have funded some things before. I've, you know, I've helped, you know, if si me sobra algo. You know, I give to that to those people that I know that need something or that are or I write letters right in my capacity. I'm able to write letters. I'm able to recommend people for grants or whatever. And so that's that's kind of support, support the artists, support the beautiful work that they do um, and support each other. You know, go to each other's shows, you know, buy each other's work, you know, rec give them away as gifts, things like that, you know. Yeah, that's a great that's a great one. And Julio, what would be one of the recommendations you have for our listeners on how they could support artists like you? Yeah, I mean, if you're an artist who uh, or somebody who supports artists, uh, I mean, yeah, I second everything that Marta said. Um, I think, you know, going back to this world of technology and social media, it's so easy to, oh, this image is cute. Let me scroll down and like or you'll share something without crediting an artist like crediting artists is so important. Um, because there's so much out there that, you know, uh, people don't really think about who, who's behind the images, right? Um, uh, and so so doing that, um, I think, yeah, I think uh, another another way of for artists who are looking, um, yeah, you know, like grants and all that stuff, it's, it's really hard to, um, you know, we get uh, we get very, um, you know, when I, whenever I'm applying for grants or, you know, looking at applications, I get so like, oh, there's, what do I, you know, you get, they're overwhelming, yeah. right? Um, yeah. uh, as part of one of my, you know, uh, day jobs, I'm, I'm part of the Center for Cultural Power uh, plugging here. And one of the things that we do is like, think about um, how we are uh, uh, making uh, this applications and who gets to apply, right? As somebody who's undocumented, a lot of times I didn't apply for scholarships or funds because I didn't have a social. And so how uh, uh, there's systems that are already, yeah, being, you know, that are in place, but how can we disrupt that? And I'm actually wearing a shirt of, of one of the programs that I run called the Disruptors. 
And, you know, I co-created this program for folks who want to write for TV. Um, you know, it's another form of telling a story, right? And so one of the things that we do is like, let's create funds and give uh, folks like, here's some money so you can like live for like at least three months. And, you know, we hook them up with mentorship. I think mentorship is a huge thing in this um, in this field. Um, if there's if you're an artist who, you know, you see somebody's work, if you see Martha's work, if you see my work and you're inspired, hit us up. You'll be, you know, surprised how many people are accessible to that. I had mentors, you know, people like Lalo Alcaraz, Fabiana Rodriguez, who started the Center for Cultural Power. You know, I remember hitting her up and when I was in college and now she's my boss. And so, like, people don't stalk people and don't like overwhelm, you know, people, but like send a message and you'll be surprised who, how many folks want to share back. I want to share back all the things that I've learned because we can gatekeep all this knowledge, you know, and of course it's it'd be exhausting to like constantly giving, you know, like this is what I do all the time, but reach out to folks um, who are doing similar work that you're doing and, and people will, will, will help you and, and support. Yeah. Support and credit the artist and pay the artist. If you're somebody who works at an organization or uh, whatever, and you're you're reaching out to artists because you like their work. Don't ask people to do stuff for free. If you're getting paid and you're reaching out for an art to an artist to work on something, really think about what you're asking for this artist, right? Like, because we think of our work as something. Pero ya lo haces, te gusta. It's like there's a lot of work that comes behind it, right? And so we live. I wish I could pay my rent with a poster, but that's not the reality. The reality is we live in a capitalistic, nasty society. Um, and while that is being worked out, um, we need to pay, you know, we need to live. And so um, I think it's important to think about artists' livelihood um, because a lot of artists of our past have died broke, you know, and we think of them, you know, now after they're dead, it's like, don't love your artists after they're dead. Like, respect them now when they're alive. <laughs> Yeah, give them their flowers and their money now. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both so much for all of the information and knowledge that you have gifted us today. I think our listeners have a lot to 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 absorb here, whether they're artists, whether they support the arts, and just hearing from each of you the way that the art world can has done better and can do better and the work left to do. So just I want to say thank you both for your time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That was a fantastic conversation. Lots to unpack there, especially for all our listeners that might be artists. You now know that here's a couple of people that you can reach out to to get that mentorship, get that support. And shout out to places like the Cheech that are making our art more accessible. So with that, Anashayla, time to close out this episode. So why don't we hear your matraca first? So I'm actually going to do two really quick. My first matraca is actually my shirt that I found at a cool market and I'll link the market in, in the notes. I forgot the name right now, but y'all can probably can't read it, but it says all my friends are hoes, honest and optimistic, empathetic souls. So I saw this shirt and I absolutely loved it. So I picked it up. Um, so I'm loving that. And then um, my other matraca is um, 
I really like the fact that people can customize, you know, the black license plates that people can customize. I just love seeing what people choose to put on their license plates. And I'm like, I want to know the types of people that do this because y'all seem like you just like to have fun with life and, and don't take it too seriously. But yesterday I saw one that said, um, Te Bote, which I made me laugh <laughs> out loud. And then I immediately had to play the, the song Te Bote. So that was fun. So that's my matracas. <laughs> I um I used to have a yellow beetle and I had a personalized plate. It said banana bug. Banana and then bug. The little plate around it, it said made in Mexico and so was I. Oh so that was my personal plate. I had one of those really adorable, super cute, new at the time beetles. It was so so fun. That's excellent. All right, so let's move on to your basura. Uh, my basura this week is um men policing other men for what they choose to wear. Um I saw this specifically. I uh was on um Richard Cabral's Instagram page, if y'all are not familiar with him, he is an actor. He also opened up a coffee shop called The Pito Coffee that I finally got to visit um, in Pasadena. Um, he's formerly incarcerated and he he opened up this bookshop with someone else that was formerly incarcerated. Um, so I finally got to go. And I, so I was checking out his Instagram page and like in a post where he was talking about some community work that him and his co-founder were doing, uh, he was wearing a satchel and so there were comments about um, his purse, many comments about his purse from other men. And it was just really sad to see. And I and I, I normally don't engage in comments. I don't write comments. But to that guy, one of the men who was like, oh, you carry a purse now or something like that. I was like, what did I say? Something about how these men are like doing this great community work and that's what you choose to focus on. Like that was my question mark to this, to this guy. He didn't respond. But I it just it's just really sad how, how men feel this like, like they need to police other men and their masculinity. And it's just like sad to see that it's still happening, that we can't just wear what we want without people needing to take, have some issue with it. So it was just frustrating to see that like on a post about like community work that this man is doing, you know, so. Yeah, like nada que ver. Like you don't even go here and, and never does that go here. Yeah, Policing so. masculinity. Basura, basura, basura. And how are you countering that, Ana Sheila? What is your calma? My calma. Um, so this has been something I've been working on that I feel really proud of because it's a long, uh, long. It's 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 long. It's 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 not easy work. Um, so I've been looking at my relationships. Um, so for folks that are watching us on video and um, folks that are not, uh, sort of like think about like you're holding an, an apple. So kind of like a fist, like an open fist. Um, and then just being so not too tight, right? Not not controlling, not feeling so attached that that you can't let go, but an, a sort of an open fist and that can kind of open and close depending on many things. Um, and I've been looking at my relationships. And what I mean by that is like, I'm just letting my relationships naturally flow. I want to have the best environment for me and the best people that help me be that. And I want to be that for other people. And so how that's like manifested in my relationships is like, just understanding that like sometimes you are not for somebody in that time, right? Like someone, if you're reaching out to somebody and they're not getting back to you in the same way, um, or you are asking for care in a certain way and they can't give that back to you, like understanding that you might not be part of what that person needs in that moment and that that, that is okay. And that like, if I really love somebody and if I still care for somebody and they didn't do some fucked up shit, like I want them, like if I'm not the person that is bring, creating the best environment, I want them to be in the healthiest environment. If I'm not for that, for them in that moment, that that is okay. 
Um, and what that means sometimes is that like, of course that hurts, right? So like that means if, if someone can't reciprocate how you want to be cared for or how you want them to show up for you, then you get to make the decision that you get to let go a little bit. And then if they come back at a later time, you get to also make the decision about whether you want to let them in and to what degree, because, you know, ultimately you need to take care of what, what you need first. And so it's been just been really beautiful. And I, and, um, and it, it's just been beautiful to be able to look at my relationships like that and be able to let go and let things flow and just know that we're all just trying to create the best environments for each other. And that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for the people that I love. So it's been cool, the transition from like needing to feel so attached and needing for things to be a certain way. So just letting be the things be the like what they're supposed to be. So that's my karma. I love that. And just to help me um, further with the analogy, are you saying that the loose hand is makes it so that you're not so yeah. confined? Yeah, exactly. Loose? So so kind of having the loose. So like sometimes that means that a certain relationship, it gets to be ne never it never being a tight fist because you never want to be so attached to a relationship that you are obsessive, controlling, et cetera. So kind of an, like an open fist, but that sometimes those relationships in, in, in their natural flow, maybe they're a little bit tighter or maybe you have to like kind of let go like open up the fist a little bit more depending on where you are in the flow of your relationship. So that's kind of how I've been thinking Thank about you. it. Thank you. I love visual analogies. Thank you for that. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, always, always here with the wisdom on the calmas, Ana Sheila. So I'll give it to you to ask me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's, what's it? Let's get started with what's your matraca? I love to read. It look, turns out, turns out I love to read. I have been reading Crux by Jean Guerrero. It is a phenomenal read. It is just fascinating. It, I, I guess it would be a memoir, but it also kind of reads like a mystery. It also reads like a mem I mean, I guess it is a memoir, but it's all about her journey of trying to connect with her, her absent father and his challenges with, with addiction, with mental health and the trauma of the way he grew up. It is just such a fascinating read. So if you all haven't picked up Jean Guerrero's book, Crux, shout out to that book. I highly recommend it. So that is my matraca. I love that, Brenda. I'm, maybe that'll be less on uh, next on my on my list. Um, what about your your basura, Brenda? My basura is the case of Raquel Lopez Aguilar. This is a gentleman, although the name is Raquel, but I double checked and that is his name. He is a 41 year old father of two who's been arrested by Florida's SB 1718. And he is undocumented and was arrested and charged with human trafficking because the folks in his vehicle were also undocumented. And this has been leveled up. This sort of driving while undocumented under SB 1718 has been elevated into a felony of 15 years. And he's, he's getting charged for each count. So this man could potentially spend the rest of his life in jail for simply driving to work with tinted windows. This is the garbage that's coming out of Florida. And, it, it, you know, I we've sort of taken a break from getting really into these sort of heavy topics because it is exhausting. But I wanted to bring it back and let us just pause for a moment, because this is this is this, these sorts of instances. These cases are, are really fueling the other side. They want this to happen nationally. They want to put away human beings for just existing. So just a big gar garbage to this law. 
If there is a little bit of hope, there's um, the, the Mexican government is getting involved. They, they're calling out this law as racist, and they are paying for Raquel Lopez Aguilar's legal fees. And mm. we're, we all have to just be hopeful that it's going to have a positive outcome. The Mexican government seems optimistic, but we have to be on alert and know that too many human beings, this is, again, a father of two, have to live in terror just for trying to earn a living yeah. in this country. And so just a reminder that just because we don't talk about that, it's not that it's not happening. Yeah. And we all got to stay on alert. Yeah, this is it's it's really heartbreaking. Um, hard to hear, hard to read. But yeah, like you said, it's important that, that we're aware of what's going on. Um, and, and how about your comment, Brenda? What, what is keeping you grounded this week? I know. Well, it's hard to stay grounded after that. But on that note, I want to let you all know that one of the things I picked up at Mucho Gusto is this gorgeous branded mug here on Ashela Inspiration, because I know we've been pretending yeah. that we were going to one day launch a mug. Yeah. They did it. They actually did it. It's cute. I, I like mean, the yellow. I like cute. the yellow interior, actually. Yes, we could steal this. Thing. I know exactly which one they have, because it was among the ones that we've been looking at. Um, and all they did is just write mucho gusto, and it's so colorful and happy. And so this mug with my te instead of coffee is what's giving me calma. And with that, we just want to say, y'all, thank you again for listening. It's always such a pleasure to be in your ears. We might take a little bit of self-love breaks because it's Hispanic Heritage Month and we are busy. We are busy. But if you like this show, please, please share this episode with a friend. As we already said earlier, please write us a Apple podcast review. If you're watching this on YouTube, write a comment, share it. We really appreciate everything that you're able to do to bring more ears to this podcast because we work so hard on it and we just love the community that is behind it. So Shout out to all of you for still being here. Shout out to you, Anna Sheila, for joining this episode. And y'all, see you next time. Ponte un suéter. Thank you all. Abrazos, besos. Ciao. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino with production support by Karina Riverall of Sonoro Media. Jeff Ricards produced our theme song. To learn more about us and get in touch, go to tamarindopodcast.com. Sonoro. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need whatever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.